you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rael. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. James chapter 4. That was intense. Before we jump in, uh, I want to talk about a story in the Old Testament. Um, my message title today is, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Is there a slide up there for that? Yeah. In the Old Testament, there's the story of the Israelites and Moses. It's a pretty popular story. You guys probably know it. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and they were there for a long time. And God raised a man named Moses up to lead this people out of slavery and into freedom and into the promised land that God had called them. And it's this amazing story. Uh, you guys know if you've seen any movies or, uh, you know, uh, Prince of Egypt or some of these things where he leads them across the waters, he sticks his staff in the water, the waters part, and they go across. And there's these amazing, miraculous stories of how God delivers them from slavery in Egypt, and he frees them. And they're on their way to the promised land, and over and over again, the people of God uh, turn their backs on the, co- the covenant that they entered into with God. They disobey, they're rebellious, and so they end up wandering for 40 years. And uh, while they're on their way to the promised land in that 40-year period, they begin to grumble and say, man, we had it better back in Egypt. And we should go back. We had jobs. We had food. We had health care. You know, every now and then one of us get, would get whipped to death. But it wasn't that bad. You know, we should just go back. And uh, anyway, there's a, an artist who was in the 70s. His name was Keith Green, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and he had a song titled, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And uh, it's, it's a hilarious song. I hope you guys uh, look it up and check it out. It's an old, if you're into like 70s style music, it's pretty incredible. Uh, but the song is hilarious. He goes through these things where he says, so you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. Uh, anyway, and then uh, there's, he goes through these things of manna and all these different hilarious manna recipes that they were eating in the desert. And it's amazing. But it's this idea that these people were delivered from slavery and bondage, and they were on their way to the promised land. But over a period of time, they began to forget the goodness of God and what it was that God had delivered them from, and they began to long for Egypt again. And that's kind of what's happening here in this text. James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. It'll be on the screens for us, though, as we go through this text this morning. This whole section that we are going through today is going to be about believers that have been convinced by their own thinking and the systems of the world that they know what is best for their own lives. Does that sound familiar today? James in this text is not pulling any punches. He's going to use some strong and offensive language as we saw. Uh, Verse 1, let's read that together. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So he opens with a rhetorical question, right? He's like, why are you fighting? He knows why they're fighting, and he answers that question. He says it by saying, because you're at war within yourself over your evil desires. And then he begins to give a few examples. Let's read verse 2. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So he says you desire, but you don't have, so what do you do? You kill. So that's pretty extreme, right? So not get what you want and then to kill somebody else. I don't know if there's anyone in here who has wanted something so bad they were willing to kill for it. I hope not. Um, but that's what's happening here. And then he talks about those that want something but don't have the means, so they argue and fight with others to have those things. So what exactly is the problem here? What is the evil desire that James is referring to? Do you think it's just the idea of wanting something? I don't think so. Uh, what is it that's bad? James is addressing what our culture still very much struggles with today. And I believe it's this idea of self-worship. The idea that I am the center of my own universe and everything that I want, I deserve to have. Everything that I feel should be allowed, I should be allowed to live it out because I am the point. Right? How many of you guys know somebody that's like this? They are obsessed with themselves. They live for themselves. They're, they can never be convinced that they are wrong or whatever. Right? I think that might describe a lot of us at some times, uh, unfortunately. There's an idea uh, or this um, way of thinking that's known as hedonism. The definition of hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure or self-indulgence. The theory that pleasure is the highest good and aim of human life. The believers that James is writing to are fighting amongst themselves because it's every man and woman looking out for him and herself. Right? There's no, there's no love. There's no sharing. There's no caring. There's no wondering um, what is best for the other person. It's every man and woman for themselves. And they're being led by their own evil desires. Somewhere along the line, these Christians began to forget that our lives are to be lived for God and His glory and not for ourselves and our own glory, right? We are not to be living for ourselves. We're not to be pushing our own ideas and our own agendas, right? We have a life that God has given us, and we are supposed to lay down that life for God as a living sacrifice to do what He has called us to do. The second half of verse 2, he says, you don't have because you don't ask God. They just stopped going to God altogether. Don't worry, God. I've got this. I'll figure it out for myself. I don't really need your help with my marriage. I'll figure it out. I don't really need help knowing who to marry. It's whoever I'm most compatible with. I don't need your help on where I should work or what friends I should hang out with. I think I'm the best judge of character that I know. I don't really need help with my finances. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. But uh, there's a lot of things that I'm budgeting in and a lot of things that I want to do. I'll take care of it. I don't need help raising my kids. I know it's good. I was raised pretty good. I'll raise them to the best of my ability. Right? Uh, this is a terrible idea. This is a terrible way of living. And I don't think that most people are... Um, evil or bad inherently in the way that they want to do things right. Most people know how to raise their families. Most people know how to treat their spouse uh, good and things like that. Um, but how many of you guys have ever been hurt by somebody close to you, uh, whether it's a family member or a friend, right? And how many think that person is still a good person, right? Yeah, they're not a bad, terrible person, right? But if they were to ever just be living and guided by their own desires, they're going to hurt a lot of people all the time. And guys, we need God to lead us. 
They just stopped going to God altogether. Family, let me uh, encourage you with this. Don't ever stop going to God. Go to God with every single thing that you do. Make that the first thing that you do. If you're thinking about making a move, going somewhere else, talk to God about it. Pray to Him about it. There's a new song that just came out uh, by Elevation and Maverick City Music uh, that's really great called Talking to Jesus. And it's just this idea of uh, prayer and this idea of going to God. Family, that is what we should be doing. The very first thing that we should be doing is taking everything that we have to God. James continues in verse 3. Verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I want to focus in on that part where he says, and when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So this isn't always the case um, for unanswered prayer, but sometimes God does not give us the things that we ask for because we ask for things that are contrary to his heart. James says here that the only reason that the people in his church were praying was so that they could spend what they get on themselves. So this is absolutely heartbreaking, right? Um, I, I can't imagine praying only so that I could use those things to spend them on myself. But you know what? I do that. I don't realize that I'm doing that, but I do that so often. How many of you guys have prayed in traffic, <laughs> right? Like, Lord, please make this person get into the right lane, right? That is not prayers for the kingdom of God. That is not prayers for our city. That is, that is something that is a prayer that we are trying to use for our own evil desires, right? So that we can speed and get to Blake's faster or whatever the case uh, might be. But we do this all the time. And brothers and sisters, this is wrong. It is not wrong to go to God, but we should not be the only time that we spend in prayer should not be so that we could spend whatever it is that God does for us on our evil desires, right? Um, this is just tragic. And so often, people lose faith in God because He doesn't do whatever it was that they asked Him to do. I want to say this, that when we start to gauge God's goodness based on how He caters to our prayer life, no matter how right our hearts might be, we have put ourselves above God on the throne of our hearts. And we are setting ourselves up for brokenness and ruin. How many of you guys know somebody um, that is mad at God or has walked away from the faith or whatever the case might be because they asked God for something or they asked for healing or they asked for a miracle or whatever it is and, uh, and that thing didn't happen and their faith was shattered. Their faith in God was shattered and they just ended up walking away. I have um, family members like that. I have friends like that. And uh, it is hard. I don't know the answers to all of the questions of why God does and doesn't do some of the things that He does and doesn't do. But I do know this, is that the point of prayer is not so that I get what I want. See, I am not the point. God is the point. God is the one who is in control. His will is perfect, and what He does is perfect, and He is good. And there's two ways of thinking, right? I can think and believe that what I want and that what I desire is the best total outcome. And that's putting faith and confidence in who? Myself, right? That's self-worship. That's believing that my ideas and my thoughts are above God's, right? You may not see it that way right away when you're asking for something and you don't get it. 
But that's what's happening. You're beginning to put your own wisdom, right? Last week we talked about uh, the wisdom of man and this false wisdom uh, according to God's wisdom. When we begin to do that, when we begin to have this narrative in our minds of God, I actually do think that I know better than you. That's what we're doing when we, when we get mad about these unanswered prayers or whatever the case might be, right? God doesn't owe us anything. Newsflash, we are sinners. We are dead. We are broken in sin, and he came down from heaven, and he gave us his son to die, and then he rose again, and he offered salvation as a free gift, and we're like, God, I can't believe you didn't let me into that college. I don't believe in you anymore. What kind of thinking and what kind of faith is that? Brothers and sisters, that is a wrong way of thinking, and that is a wrong way of approaching God. Now, I know that that's not a lot of you here in this room. A lot of you here are faith-filled believers. You, you pray, and you wrestle, and you deal with these things, and you allow God to move, and you trust God, and you take Him at His word, and when things don't go as planned, you humble yourself before God, and that's the way that we want to be. But it's so easy to fall into that way of thinking and believing that we know better than God. Um, this way of thinking, James calls it friendship with the world. Let's uh, read verse 4 together. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. To live contrary to the reality of true wisdom and the reality of the truth of God is hostility towards God. To be a friend of the world and its systems is to be an enemy of God. Imagine during wartime, all right, let's go back to World War II, you know, uh, all these different countries versus uh, this Nazi ideology and Nazi Germany. Imagine if you're a soldier and there's another fellow soldier and he starts telling you, yeah, man, you know, the Nazis, they're, I, I understand where they're coming from and, and I, you know, and I, I got a buddy who's a Nazi and then you're like, dude, you are the enemy. <laughs> you just, you know, you would not be like, oh, okay, well, that's all right. I respect you and I respect that. And, you know, it's, no, it's, there are two sides. There is the right side and the wrong side, right? And there's, there's, there's uh, allies and there's enemies. You, can, you can't imagine that happening because that would, put them, they, that would put them in the enemy camp and you would not want to be friends with that person, right? Well, there's this idea here. This is language that he uses uh, of, of wartime and uh, enemies, uh, it would be hostile if you made yourself an enemy of your own country. When James is talking about the world, he is not talking about the literal globe, okay? He's not talking about planet Earth, right? It's not the dirt and our state and whatever. And he's also not talking about literal people in the world. Uh, I have a, a scripture here on the screen for us. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our enemies are not people. I want to get that straight, right? Uh, there might be people that we disagree with, and there might be people that, uh, you know, we might have to cut off or whatever the case might be, but that is not our enemy. They are being used by the enemy, right? He is talking about the systems of the world to live the way that the world lives is anti-God. The word he, use, uh, he uses in the beginning of verse 4 is adulterous, 
right? That's not the first word that I would choose, right? But he, he comes in with this strong, offensive language. There's this uh, marriage imagery like, a, like an unfaithful wife or an unfaithful husband. The people in the church have become unfaithful to God in the way that they are living. They entered into a covenant with God to live set apart, but now they're going back to being just like the world, just like the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, Brothers and sisters, um, living like the world and in the systems of the world is, is enmity towards God. And that word means uh, to be at odds, right? God is gracious and God is good, but God hates sin. Jesus gave his life to save us from sin. Why would we go back to it, right? Um, let's, let's read verse 5. So he says at the end of verse 4, therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 5 he says, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? When you and I decide to follow Jesus, we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, right? There might have been a moment or a time where you recognize the grace of God and you recognize what it was that God did for you and you allowed Jesus in. Whether you prayed a prayer or it was just a moment in time that you feel like God spoke to you and you realized, or maybe it was slowly over time, right? Our, our, our salvation stories are different. Maybe it was slowly you came to the Lord and you were just sitting under the teaching of the word and you were allowing God to change your heart and mind slowly and before you know it, you're like, you know what? I think I believe this and I think that God is speaking to me and I think that this is what I should do. We all have one of those moments. But the Holy Spirit is the one that we invite into our lives, and He's the one that speaks to us and guides us, etc. It says here that He longs to fellowship with the Spirit that He has placed in us. The idea is that of a jealous husband or wife. Uh, if you are married or if you're dating, uh, imagine your spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, giving their time and affections to someone that isn't you right? That would not fly for long at all, right? Imagine there's like a Snapchat streak or there's, uh, you know, hour-long phone calls or there's just like all, you know, a bunch of dates and, you know, that would not, you wouldn't let that go on at all. <laughs> the very first time you saw that happening, you would be like, yo, what's up? <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> that better be your cousin, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you better have a long-lost sibling I didn't know about, Right? You would not put up with that. That's the idea here. There's this uh, imagery of, of this infidelity, and it, uh, it creates a righteous jealousy within you, right? You don't even feel bad about getting mad. You're like, why did you do that? <laughs> why were you talking to that person? You hugged that dude for a little too long. That guy's got arms twice the size of me. You have no business hugging that guy, right? Whatever the case might be, it creates a righteous jealousy within you, and that feeling is only natural. See, God gave everything to bring us and him together so that we could have his spirit. And you know what we do? We trade it back for the things that we used to have before. And it says that it makes him jealous, that he is jealous and he longs for that spirit that he has put in us. Like a spouse that trades the faithfulness of their husband or wife for a one-night stand, right? It's just wrong. It is, it is gross, it is sickening to trade what Jesus gave his life for, for the very things that he saved us from. Now, 
all of this has been extremely heavy-handed, right? Uh, and uh, Andrew's been talking about how James doesn't pull any punches. He's like a coach that's coming in uh, the last round of the fights. How many of you guys watched the fights this weekend? Pretty crazy, right? So that was intense. Um, I did not watch them. I just saw some of the clips and then Joe Rogan's reactions, which are priceless as always. But uh, um, James is that coach who's sitting in the corner and it's the last round and he's telling you exactly what you need to hear because you're about to get KO'd, right? That's why he's talking like this. That's why it's this strong language. It's been extremely heavy-handed. He's been using uh, offensive and strong language on purpose, and the reason that he's doing that is to jolt these believers that are in bed with the culture out of their sleep and back into reality. And I think um, that that speaks a lot to us where we are today. But he isn't going to leave us there. He's not going to leave us there in gloom and doom. Uh, he's going to bring us a way out. See, the whole book has been kind of having this lead up and this build to this grandiose moment. And there's this build of strong language and a harsh rebuke, but it leads us into the gospel, which is where we should all begin. Let's read verse 6 together. But he gives more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. How many of you have ever thought, I'm too far gone, I've done this too many times, I can't go back again. He gives more grace. But you don't understand, my family hates me, my children hate me, I've just messed up. I can't do it, it's over, it's ruined. He gives more grace. But I have a, a background of, you know, criminal stuff and there's stuff if you knew about it, you wouldn't want me here, whatever, but he gives more grace. But if you only knew my thought life and the things that I was thinking and how impure it is, I'm not the way that I might seem on social media or whatever, but he gives more grace. But I hate myself. I have no self-confidence. I don't treat my, my body well. I don't eat well. And I, you know, I have a bad diet and all this stuff. But he gives more grace. I don't care what the situation is, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. God can always give more grace than you can sin or than I can sin. And this is an incredible and amazing truth. So what is it that gives us access to the grace of God? According to this verse here, it's humility. It's humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. It seems like the people that I know that are frustrated with God or God's ideas the most are the ones who understand God the least. There is absolutely no humility. It's God, I want you to speak to me on my terms, answer my questions, and do my bidding, and if you don't, then you must not exist or you cannot be good. Here's the remedy for the one who is puffed up with pride. Humility. Being humble. Here's the remedy for the one who is driven by their own desires, who is uh, given to living by their own desires. 
humility. In verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil. Do you notice this kind of cadence here? It's a trade-off. It's not a one or the other. It's a both and. There's a submit and a resist. So resisting requires strength and endurance. It requires strength and endurance. So how many of you in the room lift weights or go to the gym or do anything like that? Handful of y'all. I don't, if you can tell. Um, but uh, lifting weights it causes, it needs, so you need strength and you need endurance, right? And over time, you build, uh, you know, more muscle and more mass and you become more fit and you're able to lift more because of the resistance that you are putting on your muscles, right? You can't go in there first time and lift 200 pounds, or maybe some of you can, but I cannot, <laughs> right? You can't go in there and start at the heavy weight. You have to start small. And there's this idea of this resisting, or there's, uh, you know, resistance bands. It's kind of the same thing. It's healthier on your joints, whatever, so uh, you've got bad joints. Um, but there's this idea that when you're working out, you have to, there has to be some kind of resistance. It's not going to feel good, but as you resist, it builds your endurance, and it builds your strength, and it builds your muscles. As you submit to God and resist the devil, James says that that's how you get the enemy off your back. And this verse carries the assumption that you will submit and resist continually. It's not this something that you do once and then you're good, but something that you begin to put into practice in every situation. So I want you to think of a scenario, right? Um, if you're ever given to anger and you have these explosive moments where you blow up and you say unkind things, when you're tempted to do that, submit to God. And then resist doing what you normally do. So as there's this submission, you're putting yourself under the wisdom of God. You're putting yourself under what you know to be true uh, to God's word and what you know you should do. And then there's a resisting of, you know what, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to think that way. Or maybe there's like, uh, you know, a, a lust and a sexual sin there, right? Whether it's pornography or whatever the case might be, you know, there's this... Um, moment of temptation where you have a, a, an idea or a moment where you can sin. You're going to submit yourself to God and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then you're going to resist and you're going to remove the temptation, put the phone away, uh, lock your computer up, whatever the, the case might be. There's a submit and a resist. And over time, over and over and over again, that's how you get the enemy off your back. The enemy knows that you and I are fickle. He knows the tricks, right? He knows the little things that he has to do. Um, my wife knows all of the buttons to press to get on my nerves if she wants to, right? She doesn't do that because she's amazing and wonderful. Uh, I also know all of her buttons, right? Satan is like that in the sense that he knows all of the things that make us tick. And he knows the old thing. He's like, come on, man. I can get you to do that. And then he gives us that same old thing, and we're like, no, not again. So you have to submit. You submit to God. You submit to the truth of what God has revealed to you. And then you resist the devil. Verse 8, James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come to God and he will come to you. Uh, this is one of the most uh, incredible truths and uh, invitations uh, of the Lord Jesus in all of Scripture. This is an open invitation to God. 
Uh, I know so many people uh, that feel like God is somewhere distant and God is somewhere far off. Um, I've heard it uh, used as an example like, uh, you know, think of in the olden days when they had kings and queens and stuff like that. You couldn't just show up whenever you wanted, right, and demand things, right? They're the king or queen or whatever. But if you come and you submit yourself, God says, you come, you come near, and I will come near. And there's this imagery of, all right, God, I don't know what the heck that I'm doing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come near to you and just attend in church. I'm going to go as much as I can, whenever I can, and I'm going to listen. And then God begins to draw near to you, and he begins to speak. And then there's another step of drawing near where it's like, all right, Lord, I have no idea what this book is talking about. It's confusing sometimes, but I'm going to do my best. And I'm just going to read, and I'm going to ask that you would speak, and then God begins to come near. And then there's another step of, Lord, I don't know how to pray. It doesn't sound very good. It's not like how I hear the people do at church, but I'm talking to you, and I'm here now, and God begins to come near. As we come nearer to God, it says that he draws near to us. There's this open invitation to relationship with God, and God holds his hands open. Come before him in humility, and he welcomes you right in just as you are. And as you come to God, uh, there's this idea, the verse talks about um, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. As you come to God, you repent, right? We wash our hands of the sin that we know exists and, uh, and we change our ways. As we come to God, we recognize our sin because He is holy and we are not. The closer that we get to Him, the more we're exposed to our sin. And we just, as that happens, just turn it over and say, all right, Lord, I see that. Sorry. I'm going to change the, way, the best that I can. And then he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's this idea of double-mindedness, right? We were talking about going back to living in the ways that we know we shouldn't. There's this idea of one foot in the world and one foot out. We should not be that way. That's double-minded. It's having two minds. Because on Sundays, we do one thing, or when we're around our families, we're doing one thing. And then when we're at, with our friends or at work or whatever the case is, uh, we're living uh, double-minded. We have to um, purify our hearts and stop living double-minded. Verse 9, it says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I first read this verse, I was like, that's weird. <laughs> Why would he tell people to do that? <laughs> um, this doesn't sound like a verse that was from the Bible. It sounds like you would read it, and it's like, that is depressing. Um, but there's something uh, that America's modern church culture has a problem with today, and I think that's uh, digesting heavy truth or digesting anything that's just a little bit mature, right? We love fluff. We love light. We love anything light, right? Nintendo Switch, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Marvel movies, all that stuff we can handle, right? Uh, Infinity War, I don't know, it gets pretty heavy, but, uh, you know, Ant-Man, that's fine, whatever. But, so, we love fluff. We love lighthearted stuff. Guys, I am the same way. So, uh, I am a husband, and I am a father most of my life, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a boss. So, most of my life is pretty serious. So, whenever people come to me and they want to talk about, like, super serious stuff, I'm like, dude, my whole life is serious. Let's talk about... Xbox or, I don't know, anything. Let's just have a good time, right? That's my natural leaning, and I understand that, uh, and I feel that. We want everything to be light and fluffy, uh, and I feel the same way. But we have to allow 
strong truths, especially when it comes to the Scriptures. We have to allow those strong, tru- uh, strong truths to wash us clean. And we need to learn how to have sorrow over sin. So when he's saying here, you know, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughing to mourning and your joy to gloom, he's not trying to be a bummer. He's saying, hey, take what I am saying and learn from it. You have to be serious every now and then. You have to be sober-minded. You have to allow the truths of God to change you. And I think that uh, I am not this kind of a person at all. If you guys know me, um, reading this chapter has been, um, and studying this chapter has been pretty intense. Uh, I love to give positive and encouraging uh, messages. I love to talk about the goodness of God and all of those things. And all those things have its place. Um, but there's a time to be sober-minded about the death and the, the, the havoc that uh, sin is wreaking upon the world. Guys, sin and the ways of the world is no joke. It's, it messes us up. And we can play around and we can talk about it and act like it's no big deal, but that's not going to bring about any life change. We have to allow the truth of God and the goodness of God to change us from the inside out. So what happens um, when we allow this process to happen? What happens when, all right, we've submitted to God, we're humble, we're grieving, we're mourning over sin. What happens? Uh, Let's go to verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. See, when we allow ourselves to view the world and sin in the way that God sees it, then our vision and our focus become realigned, and then He will lift us up. Our joy and our purpose comes from God, not from within ourselves, not our own desires, If you seriously believe, and I know I do this too sometimes, that we have the best, you know, plans for our lives and the best ideas for our lives, Uh, if you've followed that out for any amount of time, you realize that that goes wrong very quickly, right? Not right away, um, but over time, you just realize, where am I, man? How the heck did I end up here? Where did I go wrong? Our joy and purpose comes from God, not from within. It doesn't come from things in the world, right? Uh, The world is not going to offer us some kind of uh, amazing life plan and some way to fill us up with with joy and purpose and meaning and change. God is the lifter of our heads. We submit to Him, we come to Him, and He's the one that lifts us up. Somehow, um, I think that we've convinced ourselves that our problems are caused by God and our happiness is created by us. And that is completely backwards. I want to um, give an invitation today for anyone that feels like maybe they've started to go backwards. Uh, maybe you haven't even recognized it. Maybe today um, you feel like that's, that's not you. Um, but even just in studying and preparing for this message, I realize that I do this all the time. Right? I'll come to church and I'll hear an amazing message by Andrew and the, the worship will be great and we'll talk afterwards and whatever and then throughout the week I'll just start doing things my own way. And then I wonder about the next Sunday, I was like, why am I struggling so hard? Or why is it, you know, um, I don't know, does anyone else struggle with this? I have this thing that happens where one day is amazing and I feel so close to God and whatever and the very next day I wake up, I didn't even do anything yet and I already feel like, uh, I'm not ready for today or whatever the, whatever the case is and my, my motivation tanks 
and everything just absolutely tanks. And uh, I'm a pretty happy, positive person. I don't have like a lot of like sad, depressing thoughts, but I just, my motivation and everything just goes right down into the ground. Um, it's because it's a new day and the mercies that God gave me yesterday were for then. And uh, I need to seek him again anew today. Every single day, I need God. It's this continual coming to God. And so I want to give this invitation to anyone that feels like maybe they've done that. Um, whether it's been the last year, uh, the last you know, bit of your life that you can remember, maybe it's just the last few days, the last week, I want to invite you back uh, to God. I want you guys to come to him this morning. You don't have to do anything crazy. You don't have to say any fancy prayers. We don't have to turn the lights off or, you know, make it an emotional moment. You just need to come to the Lord as you are, sitting right where you're at, and allow Him to wash you with His truth and wash you with His wisdom. Uh, as we close this chapter out, let's read the last uh, couple verses, verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge? Your neighbor. So something that's easy to forget is uh, because of how heavy this text is, but he's writing to believers here. Right? He's not writing to some lost people. He's writing to the church. And these people are jacked up, just like we are. Right? Earlier in the book of James in our series, uh, Andrew talked about the power of the tongue and the weight that words have. James brings this point up again, and he reminds us that this should never be found among followers of Jesus. Right? There's, there's no place for slandering brothers and sisters. There's no place for talking bad about another church or another pastor, or another friend, or whatever the case might be, right? We aren't to bash and judge one another. God's the only one who can judge and save. And, uh, and this message that James is giving, this self-realization to bring us back to the truth of God, he's saying, hey, as you get your stuff together and God's working on you, don't take what God has given you and think, oh, wow, thank you, Lord. But you know who really struggles with that is this brother and sister over here, I'm going to tell them and I'm going to show them what's up. No, fix your eyes on yourself. Point it inwards and allow God uh, to do the work. And guys, this message, um, all of it, is this, this call to come back to God. It's so easy to look at the world and the things of the world and think, man, they have it so good. There's these... Uh, scriptures in the Psalms where uh, David or whoever the psalmist is that's writing, he's talking about, God, it seems like you're blessing the enemy and those that live for themselves and do for themselves. It seems like you're just providing for them and everything is always going great for them. But for me, it seems like it never happens. It seems like I'm never getting the breakthrough. I'm never getting the healing. I'm never getting whatever the case might be. And guys, pour your heart out to God because that is not the case. There is brokenness and, and, and just a, a mess in the world. Um, last weekend, uh, as I was, uh, we took a break last Sunday. Thank you, uh, church leadership, for allowing us to have the Sunday off. It was great. And um, me and my wife were just talking on the drive home from eating some wicks. And uh, I was telling her just about this text. And uh, my heart was honestly broken for just uh, some people in my life that, um, they're just convinced that 
they know what's best for their lives and uh, they don't really want anything to do with God or what God has for them. And um, one of these people reached out to me and was, you know, just telling me, hey, this is going on in my life and they're just sharing this brokenness and these things and my heart breaks. And, uh, and I was telling my wife, I was like, man, I wish that I could just go to them and say, you just need the Lord. You just need God. Like, how can you not see that the way that you're living and the ideas that you have for yourself, they don't, it's not going to fix it. It's not what you need. You need the Lord. And um, God is the only one that has the truth for our lives. There's a, there's a wisdom of the world, right, that says look out for yourself. Uh, do things for yourself. Um, but that's not going to reap any sort of joy. That's not going to reap any sort of um, fulfillment to think about you know relationships and just different things like uh, yesterday we were at a wedding and uh, it was amazing and beautiful and awesome and I was just thinking how a lot of people today have just like this bad view of marriage of they just like you know they don't want to take anything serious they want it to be whatever and everything is just so backwards and I'm like, in, in the Institute of Marriage, in that context specifically, it's beautiful, and there's trust, and there's uh, love, and there's safety, and there's protection, and there's growth, and there's warmth, and there's um, just so many amazing things, but the world has distorted it into, you know, the old ball and chain, and you don't have your freedom, and do you want to be single for a while, whatever the case might be, right? It's like... No, man, there's so many blessings and amazing things to reap within marriage. And when you give yourself uh, to somebody holy and you live selflessly for them. And so my heart was just breaking for this person. And so I offer that to you. Maybe someone comes to mind. Maybe, um, you know, you think of someone that their life is just reaping brokenness. And the way that they live and the seeds that they're sowing is just reaping brokenness in their lives. Uh, I want us all, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to um, invite John back up to, to lead us in another song of worship as we close. But I, I want to pray for um, those that maybe God's putting someone on your heart that is they're just broken, man. They, uh, they've been living their own way. They've been doing their own thing. And they've been coming up empty-handed over and over again. Um, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're tired of being the God of your own life. Maybe you're tired of uh, living for yourself. My friend, it doesn't have to be that way. There's a better way. God is the lifter of our heads. He's the one that lifts us up. We come to Him in our brokenness. We submit ourselves to Him in humility, and we allow Him to change us. We submit ourselves to the truth of God and the wisdom of God, not being puffed up, not being full of ourselves, thinking that we know everything, but allowing God to just run the world because He's the King of the world. And we say, God, I'm going to come back to you to trust you. Even when it doesn't make sense, I'm going to believe that you know what's best and that you are good. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. But every time that I do, I'm going to come right back to you. and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me. Pick me up. Set me on a right path. Maybe you're thinking about a loved one or a friend or a family member uh, that's living this way. I want us to all just, uh, whether you're praying for yourself and you're coming to the Lord or, or just thinking of someone that's close to you, let's lift them up to prayer now. Jesus, Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to come to you. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.